Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. Well, it's Thanksgiving, so why not thank a union? There are many reasons, and we'll run some down. Today on the show, the Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO and IBEW Local 38, lighting up downtown Cleveland, Ohio. Welcome to the Thursday, November 23rd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on this holiday show. Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director, longtime Government Affairs Director and contributor to America's Workforce, will be joining us. AFLCIO.org is her website. We're going to pick up on the conversation we had last month, and that's uh, about the possibility of another government shutdown. They pretty much kicked the can down the road. It was supposed to happen last Friday. Now the new dates, actually, there's two of them. January 19th and February 2nd, and the uh, continuing resolution measure funds the government at current spending levels. There's no plan forward, according to Bill. So we'll talk about the uh, the real spending priorities in 2024 and take another look at the new speaker, Mike Johnson. <laughs> His voting record on labor issues, zero. Zero. Bill's going to run down, I mean, some key pieces of legislation that really made a difference for workers like Davis-Bacon, voting rights, uh, postal reform, sick leave. He voted against all of those measures and more. So uh, we'll take a look at that. We're also going to take a look at uh, some of President Biden's nominees to federal judgeships, very important positions, and one of them, Nicole Burner is general counsel of the Service Employees International Union. And that nomination is for the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. That will be interesting. We'll see if she uh, gets confirmed along with uh, others. There's a couple of others. Uh, one is uh, the first black woman and first woman of color to serve as U.S. District Court Judge in the Northern District of Indiana. That would be uh, Crystal Briscoe. We'll touch on that, and we're going to touch on artificial intelligence. If you go to the homepage of the AFL-CIO, there's a really good posting there about uh, where workers are. Workers are at the epicenter of the greatest technological transformation in the modern era. We've been having various discussions on this issue, and uh, let me just throw this at you. According to the New York Times, nearly half of all jobs will be exposed to some form of AI that will disrupt and displace workers in the coming years. And of that amount in the next 10 years, nearly 80% could be making less than $38,000 a year. That's in the next 10 years. That's not much money now. Add inflation to it, we're in trouble. Second guest on the show is Mike Music. Mike serves as president of IBEW Local 38, website IBEW38.org. They're based in downtown Cleveland. Mike's been around for over 30 years, and uh, he is going to talk about a, uh, a lighting ceremony. This is such a great story. There's so much that 
organized labor brothers and sisters do on their own time. And this is a perfect example. And they've been doing it for years. Actually, this tradition goes back more than 50, almost 60 years. And on October 21st, 7 a.m., that was a Saturday morning, from 7 a.m. to noon, about 80-plus uh, members of Local 38 brought their electrical expertise with them, and uh, they spent the entire morning, some of them brought their family members, to uh, basically put together a lighting display on Public Square. It's amazing. It's, it's called Winterfest. And um, this Saturday, November 25th, from noon to 6.30, there's going to have, well, it's pretty much a party, Winterfest Day. And the lighting ceremony will be at 6.30, followed by fireworks. Such a cool event. Sadly, other than shows like this, it doesn't get recognized. And when I saw this, and I got to thank our uh, people at the Labor Citizen produced by BMA Media for calling attention to what Local 38 has done. Light the square for Christmas. That's what, that's what it's all about. By the way, there's about uh, 1,900 active members in Local 38. Again, the website is ibew38.org. And uh, Mike Music serves as president and uh, also business rep. There's actually four business reps. He's one of four, but he is the president of Local 38. And he'll also give us a reflection on uh, the apprenticeship program. So Mike Music, president of IBEW Local 38 will be our second guest on the show. Well, as you know, today is Thanksgiving, and there is a lot to be thankful about. And everybody has their own priorities. I know many of you are probably sitting around the table right now, but this being a union show, I think it's important that we call attention to why you should thank a union. I mean, all workers benefit from unions. Let's be honest about that. And I have a rundown here. In fact, I got... 36 of them. I don't know if I'm going to get through all of them, but think about this. Weekends without work, paid vacation, Family and Medical Leave Act. That happened because of unions. Sick leave, Social Security. That was what, 1935, FDR put that together. Had a lot of pushback on it. Minimum wage. Well, you need some work there because it's still $7.25 an hour on the national level, but a lot of states have taken it upon their selves to raise it and with union support eight hour work day how about this overtime pay child labor laws we need to uh, definitely work on that one some more in the new year occupational safety and health act the 40 hour work week workers compensation unemployment insurance pensions boy especially defined benefit pensions you've seen many of those disappear over the years Workplace safety standards and regulations. Employer health care insurance. We can thank the UAW for that. Collective bargaining rights for employees. Wrongful termination laws. Age Discrimination in Employment Act. That happened in 1967 with union support. Whistleblower protection laws. Veterans Employment and Training Service. Sexual harassment laws, the Americans with Disabilities Act. That's about 30-plus years ago. Again, union support. How about this? Holiday pay. You have the day off today because of unions. Employer dental life and vision insurance, pregnancy and parental leave, military leave, 
public education for children, the right to strike, the Equal Pay Act of 1963, and the Fair Pay Act of 2011, requiring employers to pay men and women equally for the same amount of work. These are the reasons you should be thanking a union today. And I also want to drive you to uh, Union Made in America. There's a posting on the AFL-CIO website. You can also just text LABOR411. And I know there's going to be a lot of holiday meals between now and the end of the year, but you can check a list of all the products that are union-made, food, apparel, you name it. Again, that's uh, LABOR411. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Bill Samuel on behalf of the AFL-CIO coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craftworkers. For more information, please visit BACWeb.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Every year we call this guy on Thanksgiving, sadly, because it's always the fourth Thursday <laughs> in November. Bill Samuel, he's, he's uh, visiting some friends and family today in the state of Georgia, but he is still willing and able to uh, show up on America's workforce, and we certainly do appreciate that. Bill is the government affairs director of the uh, AFL-CIO. Complete updates, aflcio.org. I was mentioning earlier in the show, definitely go there for Union Made in America. A little late for Thanksgiving, but uh, or go to Labor 411. And the important thing here is to make sure that if you're going to celebrate the holidays, go Union Made. And there's turkeys that are put together, well, not put together, but <laughs> you know what I mean. 
they are all processed by our union brothers and sisters at the Food and Commercial Workers Union. We got ham, dinner rolls, vegetables, wine, beer, you name it. It's all posted there, aflcio.org. Bill Samuel, happy Thanksgiving to you, brother. Hey, happy happy Thanksgiving to you and to your listeners. And we appreciate you coming on the show here. You uh, you sure. talked to us last time about the shuffling going on in Congress, and I, I don't know if you saw the post. This is uh, apparently the least, and so far, it's still got a couple of weeks to go, I guess, in December, the least productive Congress since the Great Depression. And, uh, I mean, we're going back to the 1930s here. Uh, it's just you got a couple of people that have uh, pretty much – taken the operation of Congress and, and they've grinded it to a halt here because they're not getting their way. And uh, the last time you and I talked, that was when Mike Johnson filled in, filled the role with, uh, for uh, Kevin McCarthy. So I'm going to let you pick it up from there because there's a lot of confusion. Obviously, we're concerned about what's going to happen next year. But uh, here's what I don't understand. What what changed here? Because uh, all they did essentially was kick the can down the road, didn't they, when, when it comes to a government shutdown? Is that right? That's right. They are, it, it's a totally dysfunctional caucus. And, you know, actually the Democrat uh, caucus, which is slightly smaller, of course, they're in the minority, has managed to stick together. Maybe being in the minority helps. But the majority, which, you know, caucus, which is the Republican, they call it the Republican conference, uh, they cannot actually vote uh, as a majority conference because they don't agree with each other. And there's always a faction that challenges their leadership. It began with Kevin McCarthy. There were, you know, a half dozen members who voted to toss him out. And then they went through, I don't know how many uh, ballots to get to Mike Johnson, who no one had ever heard of, you know, a fourth, fourth term congressman from Louisiana, um, and he's really facing the same challenge that Kevin McCarthy faced. The, the caucus, you know, they gave him a little bit of breathing space, a little bit of a honeymoon, you call, maybe call it, um, but then they began to turn on him, and he's now not able to produce a majority for practically anything. We can talk about what he faced in his first few weeks. You know, he's only, he's not even a month in, it's about three and a half weeks He's been speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, people are just getting to know him. I, I think it's really important that our that we get to know him well and know his background and what he's all about because he comes across as a pretty affable uh, fellow. He's uh, he certainly doesn't have sort of the he doesn't breathe fire the way, for example, Jim Jordan did. And one of the reasons that he didn't get elected, Mike Johnson's uh, a little friendlier, but he's got a very extreme right wing record. Let me just tell you a little bit about him if, if we have a, if we have time he sure his, sure, his voting record yeah his voting record with labor you know we 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 score uh, members of congress for the session he has a zero percent <laughs> record for the last two years so since president biden has been in office uh, very few members get a zero you know we're, we're pretty light score uh, <laughs> graders, frankly, mm-hmm. uh, but he has been wrong on every single vote. And this, this goes back, you know, further than two years, but let me just tell you, he voted against the Butch Lewis, uh, pension rescue plan. Uh, he votes mm-hmm. consistently against Davis Bacon prevailing wage. He voted against protecting voting rights, the John O. Lewis voting rights bill. He voted against giving workers bargaining rights, the airport screeners. He voted against the American rescue plan to help us get out of the pandemic. He voted against the Inflation Reduction Act. 
He voted against postal service reform, a bill that got lots of Republican uh, votes. He voted against sick leave for rail workers. He voted against VA benefits for uh, burn pit, burn pit uh, exposure victims. Mm-hmm. He voted against the Violence Against Women Act. I mean, that's how do you explain that? Is he in favor of right. violence against women? And then finally, he voted against the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, which got nearly 100 Republican votes. So he is from the really extreme right wing of his party. Again, seems like a nice guy, comes across as a uh, sort of mild-mannered, but he is very conservative, and I think that's why he was elected, because he represents the majority of his conference, but even they can't agree on anything, and that's why we're in the shape we're in. They passed a continuing resolution, which only goes for a little over a month. We'll be back right up against a, a, a possible shutdown in early January. Mr. Samuel, here's my question to you as government affairs director, longtime government affairs director of the AFL-CIO. How on earth are you going to work with this individual who has voted against unions and has a zero rating for organized labor? How how are you going to handle this? You know, I don't think we're really going to be able to. I think we're going to rely on the handful of Republicans um, who want labor support, who have supported labor. You know, on Davis-Bacon, for example, prevailing wage, we tend to get 30, 35 Republican uh, votes for that, which is why Davis-Bacon is still the law uh, for for, uh, public construction. So we'll get a handful of Republicans on most things. Now, he won't be one of them. And what we'll depend on this group of moderates to do is to make to hold him in check if he wants to bring a bill to the floor. And, you know, the speaker runs the House of Representatives. This is, you know, the speaker decides what gets a vote, Mm -hmm. when it gets a vote, what amendments are made in order. Uh, So the very powerful position. But he still has to produce a majority when the vote when the time, when it comes time to vote. So if we can hold on to a dozen or more Republicans, actually fewer. You know, they only have right now today they have a three seat majority. All we have to do is hold on to four Republican votes on any matter that comes to the floor, and we can at least defeat what they're proposing. Now we can't pass anything because mm-hmm. he won't schedule any bills that would be favorable to labor, but we can keep bad things from happening. And that's, that's about the best I can promise for the next uh, 15, uh, 13 months, you know, until the end of this 118th Congress. And I just mentioned that so far this is the least productive Congress since the Great Depression. It, it doesn't bode well for the future if all you can do is shoot down bad legislation then, right? Right. I mean, they, you know, we, we hope they can fund the government, so we don't want to defeat everything. Um, yeah. and in fact, what happened to Kevin McCarthy, which caused his uh, conference to toss him out of office and what Mike Johnson has now done is, as you said, kick the can down the road, continue funding government programs at their current levels so that, you know, we're not getting hurt by that. We're not, you know, maybe advancing programs that we want to see grow, health insurance, pension protection, you know, education. There are things that we would like to see uh, uh, improved, but that's not going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. But we can hope at least that they continue to fund the government. And so far, McCarthy back in September and now Mike Johnson just uh, last week have gone along with the Democrats in, cur- in continuing government funding at, at current uh, levels. Now, that again, that, co- that cost Kevin McCarthy his job. 
Yeah. It may well cost Mike Johnson his job. We don't know. I mean, it's, he, as I said, he's sort of enjoying a little bit of a honeymoon now, but don't know how long that'll last. And from what I've gathered here, we have got two separate dates here on different parts of the government that, that are going to run out of money. The first one is January 19th, and then the next one is February 2nd. Any reason for that? Why, why, are they, why are they coming up with two different dates here, Bill? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what his justification was. You know, this, Republicans have said they don't want any more big government-wide funding bills, these omnibus bills, which package all 12 appropriation bills in once. They think that's not a good way to legislate. And by the way, I agree. On the other hand, if that's the only option you have because you're out of time, we go along with them as well. But his, he had to promise his conference, I'm not going to pass any you know, big omnibus spending bills, which include every single federal agency and program. So we cut it and he split it in half. Mm-hmm. So some part of it, half of it expires January 19th, which by the way, is only 10 days after they reconvene after the holidays. So not a lot of time to figure that out. And then, as you said, the second half uh, would ex- extend to February 2nd. There may be some strategy about which programs go longer and which goes, go shorter as far as he can, you know, map out what's what's doable in the length of time that he's allotted. But it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It just means we have two drop-dead dates now. And the, the likelihood that we're going to have to pass more continuing appropriation resolutions. And Democrats, because they've been united, have been insisting that they be current funding levels. Like, we're not going to cut uh, billions of dollars just because Republicans want to, and they're in the majority. So Democrats unite around that. And then the Republicans have to depend on Democrats to pass these bills because it is a, in the last continuing resolution, 90 Republicans voted no. Mm-hmm. They don't, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of anarchists, you know. They're not, you know, they want to see the government uh, shut down. So Mike Johnson depends on Democrats to keep the government open, and Democrats insist that we continue to fund government at current levels. So that's where we're at. And that's about all that I see happening between now and the end of the Congress now. Can they fund uh, the, you know, the war in the Middle East? It, I don't know. Can they fund money for the border? I don't. It's really hard to say at this point. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering, uh, is this the time? And I know you have very good relationships with moderate members of the GOP. And, and, and there's a history there. And yeah, if you go uh-huh. back, you mentioned Davis Bacon. That was a Republican deal back mm-hmm. in the in the 30s because mm-hmm. of what was going on in america during the depression i'm just wondering is this going to be a time for you to strengthen those ties so those moderates are a little bit more outspoken and maybe they can talk up labor some more because obviously mike johnson doesn't care about unions it, it's, pr- it's right. pretty I, obvious I, in the way he's voted yeah i mean we're going to have to depend on them as i said they're going to have to vote with democrats to defeat the worst things that Mike Johnson brings to the floor. Um, it depends on how strong those relationships are going forward, whether we can depend on them joining with Democrats to actually pass bills uh, when we have a Democratic speaker. The, I mean, the problem, as I said, the way the House operates, the speaker controls the floor. So he's not going to bring the pro. You know, if we had five Republicans willing to vote for the PRO Act and every Democrat, it's never going to get a vote because Mike Johnson won't allow it. So it's not like, mm-hmm. you know, cozying up to these moderate Republicans is going to help us pass good things. But it will help us defeat bad things like the repeal of prevailing wage, the repeal of, uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act, and the kinds of things that Mike Johnson might want to attack. He's not going to succeed because the moderate Republicans aren't going to go along with him. 
Um, and so we're sort of at a stalemate. But, you know, you mentioned the fact that this is the least productive Congress since the Great Depression. You know, I kind of think that's a good thing right now, because if they were productive, imagine what they'd be doing. <laughs> you know, if, if they were following Mike Johnson's lead, uh, they'd be creating havoc. We'd be going, we'd be marching backwards at a very fast pace. So it's probably a good thing that they're not functioning. Yeah, very yeah well. you're right but, about that one. But they have to fund the government. We can't have a shutdown. The costs are too uh, uh, immense if we have a shutdown. It hurts people. You know, every walk of life is uh, uh, from every walk of life are, uh, are harmed by that. So we have to make sure we continue to at least fund the basic operation of government. And contrary to what some believe, they they don't save money. They cost taxpayers money. That's right. Shutdowns. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Shutdowns cost, cost yeah. money, uh, and and they, as I said, they and they harm people. I mean, Social Security checks will go out, but you won't be able to find a Social Security employee. They'll be sent home. Yeah. You can you, you can get a veteran's benefit, but you can't probably apply for a new benefit. Uh, and those are you know those are sort of the, the most basic things, but. Other uh, federal employees will have to go to work and won't get paid. You know what happens? They start calling in sick, and that's what happened mm-hmm. during the last shutdown. It was lasted 35 days. Trump was president, and air traffic controllers and TSA workers just started calling in sick. They couldn't work and not get paid. They had to feed their families and pay their rent. So then air traffic got snarled, and you know the the, the things start to you know the basic as I said the basic uh, function of government um, really stops in its tracks and then you then you start to feel it they close national parks and museums and, and all kinds of uh, you know health programs are suspended um, fed, uh, schools that are run by the government on defense uh, in on ba- uh, military basis those close um, this there are a lot of there are a lot of consequences that people don't think about until until it's right in front of them you know no Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director for the AFL-CIO. Do check out their website, aflcio.org. We'll continue our conversation with him later in the show. We're going to check in with Mike Music. Mike is the president of IBEW Local 38. He's going to talk about lighting up downtown Cleveland, and they did it with Union Brothers and Sisters who all volunteered last month. It's a great story, and we'll share it with you right here on America's Workforce. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 to fill out the online form 
and a local 50 representative will call to begin the process. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. So please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org. Had a great conversation with Melissa Cropper, president of the OFT, just a couple of days ago. And if you missed it, just go to awfpodcast.com, awfpodcast.com. A lot of good things happening in central Ohio. She was talking about the jobs of the future because primarily a lot of the investments in the two years, the two first years of the Biden administration, we saw some good legislation come through and uh, the CHIPS Act, Inflation Reduction Act, Bill mentioned the uh, American Rescue Plan, but it seems like everything is kind of ground to a halt right now. But, Bill, I want to change the uh, direction of the conversation a little bit because, uh, well, a couple of things. I want to talk about Julie Sue, who's still the acting uh, head of the Labor Department. And also, I noticed that President Biden announced the uh, nomination of uh, five people for federal judgeships, and one of them comes from the Service Employees International Union. This would be for the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. So my question here, well, maybe you could give us a little insight on on at least uh, that judge and maybe some of the others, but you think anything's going to happen here? You think uh, anybody might be confirmed here? What's the process as as we know it? Yeah, we hope so. I mean, you know, this has been the story of this uh, presidency is that almost as, you know, when the Republicans decided they were going to, obstruct, you know, anything they could, any and everything they could. Nominations just got dragged out. You know, the Senate Senate confirms, and, you know, the Senate rules. It takes uh, a supermajority generally to get anything done. That's 60 votes. Democrats only have 51. They ch- finally changed the rule when Obama was president. You just need 51 to confirm uh, judges, um, and, and Democrats have 51. That means everybody has to be there, present and voting, and during COVID, we seemed like we always had one senator absent or two senators absent so we couldn't so they couldn't uh, confirm anybody during those weeks and by the way the senate is only in three days a week and they take a week off here and a week off there and then even even when you can pass a uh, confirm a judge with 51 votes the republicans get like 30 hours of debate guaranteed so that's a day and a half or two days so it takes forever to get the basic you know confirmation process uh, complete. Um, so anyway, as you said, President Biden nominated Nicole Berner, who's the general counsel for the Service Employees International Union, a, a great nominee, very skilled uh, to be a judge on the Fourth uh, Circuit Court of Appeals, which is very senior. It's right below the Supreme Court. And Biden, you know, has nominated uh, a handful, I would say, of labor 
outside attorneys. Um, you know, Obama, Clinton, go back, Carter. You know, they they would they would appoint Democratic leaning judges, uh, but they were from corporate law firms. Maybe they were public officials. It was very tough to get a labor side attorney put on the bench. Mm-hmm. Biden, President Biden, has nominated a handful. Nicole Burner is the most recent. Um, it's not going to be easy to confirm her. As I said, we need 51 votes. They all have to be there present and voting. Uh, and if one Democrat decides ah, she's too liberal for me, you know, say Joe Manchin decides I don't want to be putting a, uh, a union general counsel on the bench, then we're down to 50. Then it's a tie vote and you need the vice president to vote to break the tie. And that means the vice president has to be in town. And if you lose a second Democrat, you're finished. You're down to 49. And as you know, and we've talked about repeatedly on a lot of key Biden priorities, we we have lost Manchin and Sinema. Sinema is now an independent. Joe Manchin is not running for re-election, as he announced, um, and is voting more and more centrist. So anyway, we, we hope Nicole will be put on the bench before the end of this term. But it, it might, at the very least, it's going to take several months to get her, get her there across the finish line. So let's talk about Julie Sue. Now, Marty yeah. Walsh left, oh my gosh, it was well over a year ago, and she's yeah. been acting labor secretary, which kind of means her hands are kind of tied. Maybe you can explain that better for our listeners, because it, it, we should have a regular labor secretary, a full time. Well, she is working full time. Yeah. But being yeah, acting, you know, it kind of it kind of holds her back a little bit, doesn't it? Well, it, it certainly does at the beginning, because, you know, they're, they're sort of in limbo when they've been nominated, but not confirmed because you don't want to you don't want to anger. Uh, the other side, so that uh, when you're a nominee and you're pending, you're kind, as I said, you're <laughs> you're kind of in limbo, and you have to be careful. You don't do a lot of public speaking. You don't make a lot of controversial decisions, and that was the case with Julie Sue for the first several months. I think it's now clear she's not. She doesn't have the votes to be confirmed. She can continue to serve as acting, only because she was the deputy secretary before. And under under current law, the deputy can be be acting when there isn't a confirmed secretary. So it's sort of a strange uh, situation here. She is acting secretary and will be as long as she wants to be. And the president wants her in that position. And she's more liberated than she was because she doesn't really have any hope of getting confirmed right now. Things could change. You know, the, the one or two Democrats who said they won't vote for her, they might change their mind, in which case I am sure uh, Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, will schedule a vote. But in the meantime, she'll be acting. And, you know, if she's not really worried about offending Anybody on the other side, she'll be more aggressive. And she, I think that's why we're seeing more and more of her. You mentioned you'd seen her out on the speaking circuit talking about apprentice per, apprenticeships and other things. So mm-hmm. I, we, we think she'll finish out strong. You know, it's, I have to say it's insulting and uh, somewhat of a sacrifice to serve in an acting position and never get confirmed. Uh, but I think she'll feel like she can do a, a pretty good job, uh, at least th- from now until the end of the, this term. Yeah, during a National Apprenticeship Week, we did a lot with uh, various unions showcasing their apprenticeship programs. And Julie was uh, she had she was at a number of events. One I recall was in uh, in Chicago, and at the same time, the Department of Labor was allocating more money to apprenticeship programs, which is good. And speaking of that. If you go to the AFL-CIO website, those of you listening right now, there's a good video posted there from Liz Schuler, the president of the AFL-CIO, talking about apprenticeship programs. Good stuff there. All right, one more question here. And there's been a lot of discussion about artificial intelligence. In fact, 
Earlier this week, we had the American Legion on. The cover story of their uh, December issue is all about artificial intelligence, and they were looking at the national security edge because they feel, according to the authors, that our government is not really prepared for this compared to other countries. Now, for this conversation, I'm concerned about labor. And this, too, is posted on, on the website, aflcio.org. And one thing that really caught my attention, um, the New York Times reports that nearly half of all jobs will be exposed to some form of AI automation that will disrupt and displace workers. Of those who will see their jobs erased, and we know this is going to happen, in the next 10 years, 80% could make less than $38,000 a year. I mean, we're talking about the race to the bottom here. This is scary. And, uh, Bill, I'd like to get your take on this. Obviously, this is a concern for all workers, union and non-union here. It doesn't bode well for the future. But uh, what's your take on it right now, Bill? Yeah, there, there are lots of jobs right now that probably are already exposed to artificial intelligence, you know, various types of surveillance, evaluations, scheduling, all kinds of things that computers are now doing, which of course means that the worker has no recourse. You can't argue with a computer. You know, it's no longer a supervisor who's evaluating your work uh, uh, or, or, or maybe scheduling your work based on, uh, you know, the need of that particular employer to have people on the clock, you know, that, Scheduling has become um, much less routine uh, and, and more on time, you know, management kind of things where uh, workers have very little control and very little and very little ability to predict when they're going to be needed with, when computers and you know, using artificial intelligence are doing the scheduling. Uh, we think it's going to it could lead to a, a big change in job quality. You know, if, if there is uh, surveillance uh, or evaluation going on, imagine in an Amazon warehouse, you know, they're tracking every movement. And everything's oh, yeah. being timed, not by a person, by a machine. Again, how do you argue with that when your evaluation comes and, and, the, and the evaluation suggests that maybe you're working too slowly or you've made too many mistakes, but it's all computerized. So there are all kinds of issues we think that are raised, and not to mention jobs that will be just eliminated. You, know, you can imagine they talk about in restaurants, fewer servers, more food uh, being cooked and coming to you from, uh, with, with uh, some kind of robotics uh, automation, um, mm-hmm. uh, some machine. So there's, there's lots of uh, angles to this. And I think people have probably, if, if you're now in a job where you're, uh, where, where you're being affected by artificial intelligence, you may or may not know, but I think increasingly people will know. And our role basically, our, our pitch here is that workers should be involved in the application of AI. We should, we should bargain over this. We should, this should be. This is what the uh, screenwriters did bargain over, and the screen right. actors to protect right to protect their image, so they couldn't take a snapshot of you and then, using artificial intelligence, uh, put you in a movie without paying you or paying you what, what you would ordinarily be um, be owed. So, we think if unions are at the table as these technologies are introduced, they'll be a lot more. They'll be fairer. We're not opposed to technology, but we want to have some say in how it's applied, and that's that's our goal right now. Yeah, that was a big accomplishment for uh, for SAG-AFTRA, which is my union. And mm-hmm. uh, the workers are now voting on that deal. We should be getting results. But I, I know the board approved it by, I think it was 86% margin. But yeah, uh, yeah that uh, I, I can't wait to see what they what they bargained for on that one. And it might be a, a model for other unions. We, we don't know yeah. that. 
I think they're going to have to give, my understanding is they're going to have to give their assent before the image can be used. And you can imagine as a journalist, if you can type in a question and, and chat GPT can give you the answer, you know, what, what, what uh, kind of job security the journalists have or teachers uh, writing exam questions, grading papers, there's all kinds of implications here with machine learning. Um, again, we're not opposed to it. We just want to make sure workers and the representatives are at the table when they're introduced to make sure that there's, just, there's a certain amount of fairness and, uh, and, and control and accessibility for, work, for, for workers so that they're, they're not just objects uh, you know, and, uh, and can be really very seriously hurt by these uh, technologies. Yeah, those of you listening right now, go to the AFL-CIO website and, and read about artificial intelligence and labor. AFLCIO.org. It's all posted there. Well, you take care. I thank you once again for carving some time out. No pun intended. Uh, I get it, Carvey. I get it. <laughs> on this Thanksgiving holiday and talking to us and our listeners. Much appreciated, and we'll talk next month. Okay, brother? Thank you. I look forward to it. Thanks. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Mike Music of IBEW Local 38. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Layuna. Find out what it takes for Layuna to keep America running at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at voidwaterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more.
America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, where you can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go to line number two right now. Welcome a dear friend who actually works next door from Iron Workers Local 17. They have their business office. IBEW Local 38 website, IBEW38.org. We're talking uh, 1,900 active members. Mike Music serves as president. He's been with the IBEW for 32 years, president since 2017. And we're going to talk about, uh, well, we'll talk about Local 38 and talk about lighting the square. This is such a cool story. And it's all going to happen this weekend in downtown Cleveland. Mike Music, happy Thanksgiving to you, brother. How are we doing today? Good, Flash. It's good to talk to you today. And uh, a happy Thanksgiving to you. It seems so funny. The, the, the year went so quickly. And all of a sudden, we're talking about Thanksgiving. I know. It's too crazy. I don't know. After you're 21, you know, everybody strives to get 21 for obvious reasons. <laughs> But after that, life goes really quickly, <laughs> really quickly. There's no doubt. <laughs> and I, I want to, I have to salute the local 38 here. I did a little research and uh, it was on August 8th of 1895 that local 38 started in Cleveland, Ohio. So we're looking at a 128 year history. Amazing. Just amazing. Yeah. Different time in Cleveland back then, too. In Cleveland, I'll tell you, yeah. you do do a little research. I mean, we were on really on target with lighting up downtown in the city back then. And, it, and the tradition continues. But talk to me about your apprenticeship program. As you know, there's a lot. It, it seems to me, I had this conversation with Dave Wondolowski not too long ago. He says, everybody wants to be a of an electrician. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of trades out there. Maybe you could speak to that. What's going on here at the local 38? Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not really sure what the, what the whole thing is about, but I, you know, I do a lot of the interviews too. And we, we do have, we ask kids, you know, how'd you hear about the apprenticeship when we talked to people and they said, well, you know, uh, my dad's in the trade and he's a carpenter, whatever it is. And he wanted me to ask about you guys. I'm like, well, well what about a carpentry? He says, no, they said, take a look at the electricians. They, you know, they got it pretty good over there. And yeah, we got a great thing going, as you can see, you know, great history. And uh, we're real proud of our whole program and getting people in. And we're uh, well-rounded and uh, it, it's just fun to have a, a, a group of kids and, and, and people a part of our local. And we're proud that people are, are happy to uh uh, try out for it too, and, and, and want to be a part of our membership. Well, when you think about the future here, there, there, it is an electric future. I mean, we hear about EV vehicles, uh, the electrical grid, uh, people upgrading their homes because of all the devices that they have businesses. They, they want to have obviously the, the best technology. And you think about all the new development that's happening, especially in central Ohio that I know that's not your territory, but it's it's a good field to be in, and you can make a lot of money and have very very good benefits. But let's talk about the the things that you do that deserve more credit. And I want to talk about lighting the square for Christmas. And I saw this article in the Labor Citizen, which is put together by BMA Media, the producers 
of America's workforce. And I think it's important because unions deserve more PR, more publicity, especially when you got union brothers and sisters volunteering their time. This happened on a Saturday morning in October at 7 a.m. Mike, I'm going to let you pick it up from there because this has been going on, I guess, what, since the, since the 1950s? Is that right? Well, what we started to do, the volunteer thing, we've probably been volunteering. I mean, we've always done the lighting downtown, but it's changed ever since they changed uh, Public Square. You know, we were hired to go down there, and all of a sudden, you know, the cost of things uh, were a part of things. uh, And basically, the last 15, I think, we've been doing this, volunteering. It's come to that point. uh, They reached out to us and said, you know, it's come to a point where we just cannot uh, have the ability to do what we want to do at Public Square, uh, and they came to us, asked us about it, and ever since we've been doing that, having our volunteers, our families, our members come down there on a Saturday and 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 give their time, you know, this, which is everybody's very busy, especially during the holidays, and and to give their time and 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 you know light up uh, Public Square like uh, we've always wanted it to be, to show our friends off and show what we do and and we don't go out there to do it because hey look at us we're volunteering we're, we're doing it because we want to give back to cleveland and we're so happy to be a part of cleveland i understand there was about 84 members of local 38 is that number has that been pretty constant over the years it has it's it's pretty amazing because you never know you know you know when it's volunteering you don't know how many members you're going to get uh but we always try and incorporate uh, the new apprentices to make them a part of it, see what the tradition is about. And it, it, you really don't get to talk to people while you're working as much as you can on a single Saturday. Uh, and it becomes this uh, brotherhood uh, of saying, hey, let's do this together. Let's spend a few hours together, laugh, joke around, and, and help out the city of Cleveland the best we can. And, and we're talking about, uh, I, I guess in this last one, it was about five hours. It started at 7 a.m., and they pretty much wrapped up at noon. Um, can you get into the specifics of what they did? And, and, and I, I would imagine the city of Cleveland supplied all the lights. And how, how did this work? Did they just do all the connecting, the testing, and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, we, we basically are installing it, uh, you know, uh, throughout the years. I mean, for, for a while there, we were going from 7 to 4.30, and we've gotten so so much better at what we do to install it. We've come down to a system where we're doing the trees, uh, you know, the trunks of the trees, the tunnel that they see down at Public Square. And uh, there's a group that has, you know, their professional uh, people that design it, and then we're the installers. They, they, we have our crews. They pick our people. We do, the, uh, you know, specific duties. And uh, we've, gotten, we've gotten so good at doing it that in that time period we can do it much faster. And uh, having the people that have been there for a few years uh, really understand what to, what to expect, and it, it's just become more efficient as we went. Do we have any idea how many lights? I know that might be a tall order for you, but I, it it's amazing. And, and those of you listening, and, you know, other cities do this, but I'll tell you, Local 38 does such a great job. I mean, you it's just you're driving downtown. It's right on Public Square, and all of a sudden, it it's like a it's a winter wonderland. That's what it is. But do we have any ideas um, how much how complicated this is as far as you know uh, how many lights, how many wires, and connections, and all that? 
It, you know, just, I mean, I don't know how many trees are down there. I can just tell you there's at least 10 to 12 strands of wires on each tree on the, the smaller trees. So if you just multiply that, it's just hundreds of thousands of, of lights that are, are there. It, it, it's really amazing. And you usually do this in October. Then obviously the weather's a little bit better. This happened on October 21st, again, starting at uh, 7 in the morning. And uh, I guess this will all be lit up. This Saturday, actually, this is the annual Winterfest Day and tree lighting ceremony. Starts at noon, and at 6.30, the lights turn on. Now, I'm just wondering, the, the brothers and sisters at Local 38 that did this, I can only imagine they bring their families to this type of event. This, this has to be a, 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 like, like a picnic time type of thing for them, right? It, it does. You know, and, and we get the word out to our people. And, and then they bring their friends. They want to show exactly what we've done. And, and, and it really has become an annual uh, festival, you know, to bring our people down. And, and you see our people there and just smile. And, and as soon as they, you know, change, you know, turn on that switch and you hope that all the lights come on, then we go, okay, we're, we're good. Uh, but uh, it, it really is an, an annual thing that we're really excited about being a part of. It's funny you said that. You hope they come. I'm thinking of that Chevy Chase moment <laughs> at, at Christmas Fate. You know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, getting, getting those two two plugs together and making sure there's a little bit of a spark to turn that thing on. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That is so cool. Well, I, I had to give a shout-out here to uh, Local 38 because you've been doing this for a long time. It's just so cool. And, you know, and, and, and Mike, you know this. I mean – the good stories often don't get the publicity. And, and again, we're talking about somebody. These folks are busy. You're working hard. I mean, there's a lot of work going on with uh, electrical contracting right now. But to carve out five, six hours of their day to do this with, you know, all volunteer, that deserves recognition. And that's why we're having this conversation. So thank you so much for, for your role in IBEW Local 38 and all the, the 1,900 active members there. And I'm sure you got a lot of retirees that, that do a lot in the community yeah. as well. So I'm going to leave it on that note. IBEW38.org and uh, Winterfest this Saturday, Public Square, downtown Cleveland. You take care and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you, brother, okay? Thank you, Flash. Happy Thanksgiving to you, and, and thank you for everything you do for us also. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, California Representative Ro Khanna will be joining us in the latest from the United Steelworkers. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful holiday. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.